Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This morning, I just got a really simple word uh, for you um, as individuals, but also as a community. And it comes from uh, the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, would you go with me to the book of John, chapter 13? John chapter 13 is found between John chapter 12 and John chapter 14. I know that because I have my master's in theology. John chapter 13, and I'm just going to read you, um, starting from verse 1, I'll, I'll skip a few verses along the way, but you'll get the gist of the story. The Bible says it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. So having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jump down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. A selfie spirit allowed to fester will kill. A selfie spirit allowed to fester will kill. But a servant spirit deliberately fostered will bring life. If you get nothing else out of this morning, I hope and pray that you walk away with this. A selfie spirit allowed to fester will kill. It will divide, it will destroy, it will be destructive in every environment that it finds itself in because the selfie spirit kills. It'll ruin your soul. It'll ruin your potential. It'll ruin your marriage. It'll ruin your relationship even with God. A selfie spirit allowed to fester will cap the potential of a community. It will limit the ability of the local church. A selfie spirit allowed to fester will kill. But a servant spirit fostered will bring life. It will bring life into your being. It will bring life into your journey. It will bring life into your marriage. It will bring life into your family. It will bring life into your workplace. It will bring life into this very church if you would be brave enough and bold enough to foster 
a servant spirit. This morning, I want to speak really simply and quickly from the subject, killing a selfie spirit by developing a servant one. Killing the selfie spirit by developing a servant one. Let's pray and we'll jump into the word this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and to worship you and to know that all the amazing things we sing about you are true. You are glorious and you are amazing. You're mind-blowing, you're breathtaking, and you're with us and you're for us. So right now, Holy Spirit, I invite you to preach. Would you be our teacher, our leader, our guide? I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. In fact, that I would disappear and you would wholly appear and that you would have your way as you have your say. Do this for your name's sake, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? A selfie spirit allowed to fester will kill. But a servant spirit developed, a servant spirit fostered will bring life. Man, we love a selfie in this day and age. We are loving a selfie right now. For those who don't know what a selfie is, it's basically a picture that you take of yourself with your mobile phone. You may have been hanging around a shopping center and you might have seen a bunch of young people there consumed with looking at themselves and taking pictures of themselves. My friends, that is, that's a selfie. And if you think that the selfie is limited to just the millennial or to the, the, the now generation, you've got to understand that I've seen older people love a selfie too. In fact, the other day I was on a flight to Sydney and as I was taking off, I looked across the aisle and I saw a woman who was a little bit older than me. I'm not going to guess her age. I don't want to offend anyone. I'm just going to say she was a little bit more seasoned. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> from, a, from a bit of an older vintage. And she was there. And before we were taking off, she was in. She was in on taking this selfie. And she's there and she had a phone. And she had like kind of, she was doing the like kind of like the duck face action. Like kind of she, she was doing the duck face. And then she was like trying to get her fringe right. And then she was trying to like kind of elevate that picture. And I just wanted to lean over and just let her know, hey, sweetheart, can I help you? Like, just, I, I want to let you know that you can, try, you, you can have that phone taken from the moon and that's not going to basically blot out the wrinkles up on your face because you can't reverse what earth has done to you over the last 60, 70 years you've been on this earth. You know what I'm saying? Jesus couldn't invent an Instagram filter to deal with all. I just wanted to help her out, but I kind of kept to myself. The reality is we all love a selfie. And the jury is out regarding what the selfie will be seen as in years to come. I'm not sure how the selfie will be viewed in future generations. The selfie might be seen in a positive light. In years to come, like 100 years from now, where, when historians and researchers are looking at the early 21st century, our generation, they may see the selfie in a positive light. They might say, you know what, how great were those early 21st century human beings? They took photos of themselves, they recorded their images for all posterity so that we in the future could know what fashions were like and trends were like. Well done, good job. That selfie thing is, 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 a, is, is a beautiful thing and, uh, and those 21st century people did really... It might be seen in a positive light. It might be seen in a neutral light. Just a little bit of a quirk uh, on the kind of the human timeline, you know? 
hey, they took a lot of pictures of themselves and kind of for some reason all those girls try to make their faces look like ducks. I was like, what is up with that? But it's not really a negative thing. It's not really a positive thing. In years to come, it might be seen in a neutral light. It might be seen in the future as, as a negative thing about our generation. You know, in a hundred years from now, historians and researchers of the early 21st century might say, what was up with those people? Why do they take so many pictures of themselves? Why do they feel compelled to post seven different pictures of themselves every day on Instagram from a different angle in a different light? What is up with those narcissistic early 21st century people? In a hundred years from now, the selfie might be seen in a negative light, but the reality is none of us know. In a hundred years from now, how the selfie will be seen. The jury is out, but the verdict is already in regarding how the selfie spirit will be seen. The jury is out regarding how the selfie will be seen, but the verdict is already in regarding how the selfie spirit will be seen because human history tells the story of what happens when you allow a selfie spirit, a self-centered spirit, a selfish spirit to fester. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. That's the reason the Bible says in James chapter 3 and verse 16, that you've got to be really careful every time you see selfishness or selfish ambition push its way forward because wherever you find selfishness, wherever you find a selfie spirit, you will find discord and every form of dysfunction. The selfie spirit ruins everything it touches. It ruins the human soul. It ruins friendships. It ruins marriages. It ruins the family unit. It ruins community and church. The Bible is clear what the selfie spirit does. That's the reason the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he was prophesying about terrible days that lay ahead, terrible days that would be marked by discord, terrible days that would be marked by dysfunction, terrible days that would be marked by, 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 by brokenness in community and in the world, the first quality that he basically recognized that brought about that dysfunction was people would be lovers of themselves. Hey, the jury is out regarding how the selfie will be seen in the years to come, but the verdict is in regarding what the selfie spirit does to the human soul and to the human life. It ruins everything it touches. It wrecks every single environment it is allowed to fester in. That's the reason the Bible talks about in in Isaiah chapter 14, the the casting out of Lucifer. For those who who haven't been around church for very long, you've got to understand that the devil, who was a real person, once upon a time was an angel. His name was Lucifer. And he wasn't just an ordinary angel, he was like kind of a star angel where he got to like kind of worship lead in heaven. But the Bible talks about his expelling from heaven in in Isaiah chapter 14. And and this is what brought about his expulsion. The Bible says he started thinking to himself, you know what? God's up there, but I could be next to him. Hey, God's being worshipped, but I can be worshipped as well. Hey, people are bringing accolades to God. I want to have accolades brought to me. I can be next to God. I can be higher than God. You'll see the word I will or I can repeated five or six times found there in Isaiah chapter 14. The selfie spirit actually got Lucifer kicked out of heaven and then he became a devil. If the selfie spirit can turn an angel into a demon, what could it do to you? 
The selfish spirit destroyed the potential of Lucifer. He became a demon. And if you keep on reading in the book of Revelation, you'll see after Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, about one third of the angelic, the heavenly hosts followed him. Or in other words, about a third of heaven left with Lucifer. If division could be brought into heaven by and through a selfish spirit, what could that do to your family? What can it do to our church? The jury is out regarding how that silly selfie will be seen in the years to come. But the verdict, my friends, is well and truly in regarding what the selfie spirit does to every environment it is allowed to fester in. It kills. And here's the challenge. I believe all of us have a leaning, a propensity, a negative proclivity, if you will, towards the selfie spirit. I know some people think that this day and age, especially young people who take pictures of themselves, hey, they're an especially narcissistic, like self-focused kind of generation. But I reckon that that proclivity, that leaning has always been there. The mobile phone, our ability to take pictures of ourselves and post them on Instagram has just revealed something that has always been, come on, in the human heart. So Houston and Puraka, we have a problem. The selfie spirit kills. The selfie spirit destroys. But all of us within our fallen state have a leaning towards this selfie spirit. What are we to do? And every time I have a question about what are we to do, I go to the Bible. Because like I said in the chapel service, the Bible isn't just an ancient piece of literature about back in the day. No, the Bible is a living, breathing conversation that God wants to have with us. Come on, today. It's alive and it's active and it's And it's God cutting in on every single situation. He wants to speak to us because He wants to bring life and help us. So in the light of the fact that I've observed so many times, my eyes are small, but they're surprisingly strong. I have seen what the selfie spirit has done, what it has done to churches, what it has done to marriages, what it has done to the human soul. I went to the Bible to ask this question, Yo, Jesus... Well, what have you got to say in response to this selfie spirit that so easily festers within the different parts that we call life? Hey, Jesus, how would you respond? What would you say? What would you teach? What would you do to deal with this selfie spirit? And what's fascinating is when you start studying the story of Jesus, especially as he hangs around the disciples, you'll see that the selfie spirit was prevalent even in Jesus' day. The selfie spirit was prevalent even in Jesus' close-knit group of disciples. You would think that if Jesus selected 12 young men to cruise around the Sea of Galilee to preach the gospel, announce the kingdom, to heal the sick and to raise the dead, you'd think that that community would be marked by unity, by humility. It will be marked by a sense of servanthood. You'd think that would be the case, but another case is true. Because as you read through the story of the disciples, you'll see a constant tension that they were dealing with, a constant battle they were fighting, a tension and a battle that came from a selfie spirit. In the book of Luke chapter 9, you'll see this argument breaking out amongst the disciples. And this was the argument, who is the greatest? Like Pete's going, yo, 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 yo. It's pretty obvious I'm the greatest. You know what I'm saying? 
like, like Jesus leans into me. He's the one who asked me to come out to walk with him on the water. And, and they're just like, no, no, you asked. No, 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 Jesus asked me. And, and so, and then, and then like kind of Judas, hey, you know, I'm the greatest because, you know, he's the one who kind of lets me hold the money. And, and, and they John says, hey, you know, I'm the one he, you know, I'm the one that, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. And the disciples say, hey, but you're the only one who ever said. And so, so basically, the disciples were arguing, fighting about who was the greatest. And Jesus had to cut into that conversation and goes, yo, you guys have missed it. He grabs a little kid, pulls him in front of the group and says, you know what? If you want to be the greatest, you have to be like one of these little children. You've got it twisted. Up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. You're all topsy-turvy when it comes to the kingdom of God. Are you missing the point? Life isn't about being the greatest and the biggest. It's about being the smallest and the servant of all. That, that, that argument would continue. Later on, you'll see in the book of Mark, this, this, this argument breaking out. And then basically James and John, the sons of thunder, pull Jesus to the side and says, yo, yo, Jesus. Like we've been talking to our mum, and our mum kind of wants us to ask you this question. Um, you know, one day when we all be chilling in heaven like forever, because it's a long time, we feel that we deserve a position of prominence. So we know that you've got like a throne. We're just guessing there's two mini thrones either side. Can we like be, can you kind of put out, could you put like, like, you know, a mobile phone and your wallet there to kind of like reserve those seats for us? So the disciples hear this and they get upset, not because of the bold request, but because they didn't think of asking first. Jesus says, no, you, you have no understanding still about what I'm trying to do here. Life isn't about getting the best position. Life is about positioning yourself to do great for this world. You're not catching what I'm throwing. You're not smelling what I'm cooking. You're not enjoying the yum cha that I'm trying to serve you. You're, you think that life is all about getting that big seat? No, it's about making space so someone else can sit in a seat. You're missing it. And if you think, if you think that that telling off would have sorted the issue out, it didn't. Because what James and John did straight from that conversation, the Bible will tell us further on in the book of Matthew, that basically what James and John did with that retort from Jesus is that they went and told their mom. They said, yo, mom, uh, we went and asked Jesus about the whole kind of like the mini throne thing. And Jesus said no. And kind of, so like he's a little bit angry now. And um, so can you go talk? So you know what the mom does? Well, I'm going to talk to Jesus myself. And so basically the mom comes along and you'll see this, fa this, this fascinating episode. Of the mum having, like, chewing Jesus' ear. Yo, 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 my boys have been with you for years now. They have promising careers. They drop their nets. They've come after you. The least you could do is to put a mobile phone and, like, kind of, you know, a handbag, if you had a handbag, to basically save those seats for my boys. And Jesus, again, would have to say, wow, you're missing the point. Life isn't about being at the top. But life is about supporting others from the bottom. Life isn't about running across the finish line first. Life is about staying around the back area, making sure that everyone feels encouraged so that they all cross the line together. Jesus was trying his hardest. But it felt like he too had to keep battling this selfie spirit that was festering and trying to hijack what he was doing there in the earth. So I'm digging into this story and I see this battle 
building to a crescendo, coming to a zenith moment, if you will, in the book of John chapter 13. Because here Jesus is, and literally, Easter lay around the corner. He knew that there was a cup that he had to drink, but if he could drink this cup as painful as it would be, we as humanity would have quenching for eternity. So he's wrestling with it, and he's umming, and he's ahhing, he's asking his father, yo, dad, is there any other way we can do this? And his father's saying no, so he goes, okay, well, let's do it then. And he's trying to spend some quality time with his boys before he goes to the cross. The Passover meal is in progress. And here he is hanging out with his closest friends and he makes an observation in John chapter 13. Wow, we've been together for three, nearly four years. I've been breaking my uh, back. I've been busting my gut. I've been preaching myself hoarse, trying to explain to you guys what this whole kingdom thing was going to look like and you're still missing it. Because here we are at the Passover feast. I'm literally going to become the Passover lamb about this time next week. I'm just about to serve you so that you can live. And here you all are, eating and talking, drinking, and you're merry. And I'm down for that, but the problem is nobody has served anybody at this table. Because before this meal was meant to start, the servant amongst us should have got up, gone to the back room, stripped down, wrapped themselves in a towel and come out and washed everybody's feet. But it's obvious right now that none of you guys think that you're the servant. So the Bible says Jesus, being fully aware of His power and His authority, where He had come from and where He was returning, you know what Jesus does in response? He gets up from the table. And he walks off to a back room. The Bible says he removes his outer garment. Now, without going into it too, uh, too deeply or in, in with too much detail, basically, he takes off his outer garment, leaving him wearing effectively a sheer see-through singlet. And around his waist, he wraps a beach towel. He gets a, a bucket of water, and then he basically re-emerges into this Passover feast. The disciples see him. A hush grips that room. Conversations are paused. What is Jesus doing? I could imagine the disciples just thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, the ceremonial servant foot washing hasn't happened. I, I didn't think to do it. I didn't think to do it because I'm not saying I'm the greatest, but I just definitely know I'm not the least. But here Jesus is, and he's holding the bucket. What's Jesus doing now? He's falling to his knees. Why is Jesus removing my shirt? Oh my goodness, Jesus is removing my sh Why is Jesus wetting his hat? He's now dissolving the dirt from between my toes. Ooh, that tickles a bit. then Jesus would go along the line and wash each of his disciples' feet. The same hands that flung stars into space are now getting dirty and grubby with the grit between these teenagers' toes. The Bible says Jesus finally gets to Peter, and in classic Peter fashion is the only one brave enough to speak up. 
He goes, yo, Jesus, what you doing? You're not, you're not washing my feet. Code for, hey, I'm not saying that I'm the servant in this room, but I definitely know you're not the servant in this room. Why are you washing my feet? Jesus says, you've got to understand, unless I wash your feet, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. Basically, what he was saying, unless you allow me to serve you, you'll never taste life like it was meant to be tasted. They wouldn't really understand what that meant until he would die on a cross and, and literally serve them by carrying their sin and their scars, their stains and their shame. But, but Jesus made that point very simply but poignantly. Hey, this servanthood will bring life. Jesus would finish washing the disciples' feet. And the Bible says he would get back up, go back to the back room, reclothe himself, and re-enter the dinner party. I could imagine the disciples still not speaking a word. The Master on his knees. The Son of God, now with dirt, on his hands. The king of all, a servant that night. Jesus sits back down at the table. He clears his celestial throat and he breaks the awkward silence. He says, you know what? I know that your heads are spinning right now because all of you guys, I'm not saying that you're all up yourself or you're all kind of arrogant or whatever, but it was pretty clear that none of you guys thought that you were the servant or the least amongst this group. So what I needed to do was to do something that needed to be done. And you're looking at me, and you call me Lord, and you call me teacher, you call me master, you call me rabbi. You know why you do that? Because I am Lord. I am master, I am teacher, I am your rabbi. But now that I've done this, how can you do anything less than this for each other? In fact, I've set an example for you that I want everybody to follow. And in case you think that servanthood is beneath you, remember that the master did it. So technically... If you ever get to a point in your journey where you say that servanthood is beneath you, you're effectively saying you're above Christ. And that's a dumb thing to say. And now you will be blessed. If not only you know this stuff, but come on, you do this stuff. What does Jesus do in response to a festering selfie spirit? that kills. He kills it by exemplifying a servant spirit. And my heart's hope, my heart's prayer really simply for my friends and my family here at Victory Church is that we would make decisions, come on, as husbands and as wives, as children within our families, as leaders of our families, within our ministry group, within our church community, the school that we go to, the businesses that we run, the businesses that we work in, 
that we would make a decision, come on, every single day, every opportunity that is afforded, come on, to skewer and to kill a selfie spirit that destroys by exemplifying, come on, a servant spirit that brings life. So here's the question. How did Jesus literally foster this servant spirit? What was he trying to say? What was he teaching? How close was I to falling off the edge there? (laughs) A few points and then we're done. When he comes back to the table, he comes back to the table with a point to make. And the first point was this. I want everyone to hear it. He goes, yo, you understand that this whole servant spirit thing is not a status for some, it's a spirit for all. It's not a status for some, it's a spirit for all. Because he says, you know what? You call me Lord and you call me Master. You guys know I'm the king of every king, but guess what? I take that lordship, I take that masterhood, I take that kingness, and I take that power and that authority and that position, and I make a decision to serve. Because why? This servanthood thing wasn't meant to be just a status for some, but it was meant to be a spirit for all. And that's a game changer. Because we live in a culture that basically says that servanthood is a status for some. Basically, everyone is on a ladder somewhere. This might be the case in your family. It might be a case in your workplace. It might be a case even here within this community. And here's a ladder here. And basically, the top half of this ladder, they are the ones who are served. And the bottom half of the ladder, they're the ones um, who are doing the serving. Because it's a status thing. You're young, so you serve. Hey, you're not, you're not, you're not as kind of you know, skillful, so you serve. And No, no, Jesus flips the script and blows that entire concept up by saying, you know what? I'm right there at the top of the ladder and I'm serving. So basically anyone who is beneath me in this ladder needs to understand that servanthood is for them as well. My family are from Malaysia and we love visiting Malaysia. Um, you know, for holiday every single year. My kids especially love it because within Malaysia, there is a servant culture. You know, there are people who literally are paid to stay at your house and they wash stuff for you and they cook for you and they they walk the dog for you. And my son kind of enjoys it just a little bit too much. When I find him by like, but after about week one while we're in Malaysia, when I find my son sitting down at the couch, watching TV with an empty glass in his hand, yelling, servant, servant, I know that my son needs a little bit of a talking to. In the country that my family are from, servanthood is a status. It's, it's what some people are lumped with, whereas the other lucky ones don't have to engage in. Jesus says, no, servanthood is not a status for some. Come on, it is a spirit for all. Because the one who was at the top of the pile exemplified, personified, servanthood. And this would be the precedent for all of us to follow. I know that at my home church, currently back in Melbourne, uh, we have some incredible people who come to our church and we have a couple of federal politicians who, uh, who are members of our church. And, and uh, there was actually a federal senator who served um, uh, in, in Canberra for years and, and would only find himself back 
um, in town every couple of weekends, but whenever he was in town, you know, over a weekend, uh, he'd always serve in the car park. So it was a really funny sight because you would see him on TV on a Friday night, and then on a Saturday afternoon, he'd be there, you know, with a lollipop, you know, as a lollipop man, just loving it. I remember one time pulling him to the side and saying, you know what, it's really inspirational to see someone in your position serving people the way you do. And his face was just confused. He said, why, why would I do anything less? This is my honor. This is my privilege. This is my joy. I get to, in one go, see so many people I wouldn't usually get to see. I love doing this. And my life isn't blessed because of what I do in Canberra. My life is blessed by doing this very job in this car park. And I remember just the Holy Spirit, like a teacher, going to me, hey, Dan, it doesn't matter how high you fly. It doesn't matter how far you climb. It doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how recognized you are. Come on. Being a servant of all is the work, come on, of all of us. Because it is not a status for some. It's a spirit for all. The second thing Jesus is saying here is, hey, if you want to be marked as an authentic Jesus church, you've got to serve. Because this would be our ultimate mark and seal of authenticity. That's the reason he says here, okay, now I, your Lord and teacher, have served. You've got to do the same. And then he says this, I have set an example for you now to follow. You know, as a bunch of Jesus followers, I know there are a lot of Jesus followers here in this room. I know there are a lot of people who were like me, like in the 80s and the 90s, they had one of those cool like WWJD bracelets on, you know what I'm saying? What would Jesus do? Do you know what's fascinating about this whole Jesus following uh, kind of journey? Jesus, when you really study his life and his story, had very little to say about things we need to specifically do. He didn't say, hey, you've got you to worship this way, or you've got to praise this way, or you've got to preach this way, or you've got to set up church this way. He had very little to say about many aspects of Christian life. One of the few times he actually said, I need you to do this, was in this occasion. Where he said, you know what? As I've served you, I want you now to serve one another. I've set an example. That word example in the Greek literally means pattern. We actually get the word patent, or in other words, you can tell the, the, the authenticity of this item based upon this. Or in other words, we are identified, we are defined as a genuine Jesus-following community, not by the songs that we sing or the kind of sermons that we preach, whether we're big, whether we're small, whether it's a dark room or fully lit up, it doesn't matter if we have no windows or stained glass windows. All of those things were variables. The only real kind of mark of authenticity that Jesus put forward was this. You know what? My people will be marked by the way they serve one another and the way they serve their world. That would be our marker of authenticity. Another little Malaysia tip, if you ever travel to Malaysia, you're going to find yourself at a night market at some point, and you're going to see a Rolex, and it's going to look really, really cheap. It's going to look really, really real. It ain't. <laughs> Ladies, you're going to see a beautiful Gucci bag, and you're going to see it like for maybe about 5% of the price of a real Gucci bag, and you're going to ask the man selling that Gucci bag on that side street, yo, is this real? And he's going to look at you fair and square in the eye and say, yeah, real. Same, same. <laughs> Authentic, 100% genuine, real. But a little bit of a tip, when we say same, same, it doesn't mean same, same. When we say same, same, it means very, very different. <laughs> it 
There are, there's a lot of... There's, it's really easy to become a church that's the same, same church. Kind of like a church is because they have the name Jesus on the wall or a cross on the stage or they sing songs that come from a specific kind of you know, a, a church movement and they, they kind of preach in a manner that's inspired by you know, other preachers from around. You've got to understand, all of those things are variables. If Jesus was in church here this morning, one of the few things he would really be looking for to tell whether or not we caught what he was throwing, we heard what he was saying, we're building what he's commanding is the way they serve one another. How's that husband serving that wife? How is that businessman serving his community? How's that single mom serving her family? How's that person who's recognized serving the one who is not? How is that person on a pedestal using that position to serve as many people as possible? This, my friends, Jesus makes clear, is one of the clearest marks of our authenticity as a group of real Jesus followers. Hey, servanthood, because Jesus did it, is not now just the status for some, it is a spirit for all. Servanthood is not only something that you may do or you may not do depending on the season you're in. No, it is ultimately our mark of authenticity. Thirdly and lastly, really quickly, and Jesus makes it clear, if you want to know blessing, serve. Because at the end of this whole chapter, he basically says this, hey guys, so everyone's sitting here, your feet are washed, the lesson has been taught, check it out. You will be so blessed, I promise you. Your life is going to be marked by so much favor and so much joy and so much overflow and so much good, I promise you. Your life will be blessed if you not only understand this stuff, but you do it. Yeah. Or in other words, your greatest blessing in life will lie on the other side of the door, marked serving. Serving will bring and breed life in your world. That is such, such a, a counter-cultural and counter-intuitive kind of concept. In the world that we live in, it's about the more you dominate, the more you get. The harsher you are, the more you'll receive. The more unfair you play, the harder you play the game, the more you win in the end, Jesus says, that is not the truth. I'm the truth, so let me hook you up. The more you serve, the more you'll see. The more you bring to the table, the more you'll get to eat from it. The more you commit your life to building others up and lifting others up, the more you'll experience the hand of heaven pulling your life up. You will be blessed if you not only know this stuff, but you do it. Your greatest blessing, your greatest life lies on the other side of the door marked serving. Come on, smile. That's really good news. Come on, married couples. That means every time you make a decision to serve your husband or your wife, by just watching them and trying to work out how you can bring something to the table, how you can encourage them or, or listen to them or 
want to make their Lord just a little bit light. You know what I'm saying? You're bringing blessing into your life. Come on, smile. That's really good news. Come on, every single time you pull out a chair, open up a door, give someone a high five on the way into church on a Sunday morning. Come on, every single time you see someone sitting on the other side of the room who you can just tell needs to have a bit of a chat or a little bit of a cry, and every single time you lend an ear or a shoulder, you're not, you're serving. Guess what? You're bringing blessing and favor into your world. Come on, every single time you pick up another group of sweaty, smelly teenagers and bring them to youth and basically chase them around, you know, just begging them not to graffiti something and destroy a toilet. And then you take them and you know, you're driving back and now your house, now your car smells like kind of, you know, links and armpit. And I kind of think to yourself, why am I, do-? every time you do that, guess what? You're bringing blessing into your life. Come on, every single time, come on, you make a decision to say, you know what? Hey, I know that you're finding it hard to get to church. I'll come and pick you up. I'll bring you along. We'll have a chat along the way. We'll grab some coffee. Hey, every time you serve, you bring blessing into your life. And here's the kicker. Jesus wasn't daring us to serve because he wanted to encumber our life. He dared us to serve because at the very core of Jesus is the desire to enrich our life. My time is done. My race is run. The eggs are being boiled, ready for our lunch. Me and Tony are going to share one protein-packed meal <laughs> one more time before I fly out. But my heart's hope my heart's prayer is this. Would you ask this question? Are you allowing a selfie spirit to fester in your heart right now? Or are you deliberately, come on, cultivating and fostering a servanthood one? Because one's killing you and everything it touches. And one, I promise you, will bring life. Come on, ask this question. What could we as a victory community truly achieve? Come on, here in the city of Adelaide and the state of South Australia is if, if we could unleash the power of a servanthood spirit. Think about the people who would be one to Christ, healed, restored, set free, made whole. We might just change the world. What could happen if we could break this selfie spirit? And truly live a life like Jesus is exemplified. A life for others. My old senior pastor, Mark Connor, um, went to China recently. Actually, he didn't go to China on purpose. Um, he kind of had to go there for a layover, okay, on his way through to Europe. And he asked me, because I'm Chinese, and he's guessing that I know stuff about China, even though I've never been there before. He goes, hey, is there much tourist, like, touristy things I can do in a day? Like, if I got a layover, is there much I can do? Um, and so I said, yeah, for sure, I'm sure there is. And so we kind of Googled a little bit and found, like, what he could pack into one day. Go see the Forbidden City, go see Tiananmen Square, go scale the Great Wall of China. And one of the things that we found really, really cool is it's, because, it's a bit of a touristy thing. People climb the Great... And the Great Wall of China is no small thing. It is like a... So, this whole thing, like kind of made in China stuff is flimsy. That's not true. We make good stuff. 
Okay? You guys just want to buy cheap stuff, so we make it cheap and it breaks. But if we want to build something like a Great Wall, we can do it. And, 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 and a lot of people don't know this. The Great Wall of China isn't like a little pippy little, you know, no, it's, like, it's, it's, it's impressive uh, at, at different points especially. And, and we told Mark, you know, what a lot of tourists do is they climb to the top of the Great Wall of China where they get a 360-degree d- d- vista. And, um, and it's beautiful as far as the eye can see. So is your vantage point from the top of the Great Wall of China. What you need to do is you need to videotape that, send it back to us at the church, and we'll actually just do church news with you from the top of the world. And so boss goes, layover, 12 hours basically there, Forbidden City, Tiananmen Square, and he scales the Great Wall of China. Thousands of steps to get to this point. Gets out his phone to take a video of the whole of China, basically, to the ends of the earth. Then he sends it to the media team. Word gets around because the media team are losing it. Boss, in the meantime, comes back down the Great Wall, gets onto his flight, flies back, and this video has been sent to us of Mark at the top of the Great Wall of China, trying to take a video of the whole world. But instead of a video of the world, it was on selfie mode, and it was a video of his like puffy red face going, Don't get to the end of your life in the top of the world only to find that you took a picture of yourself. Live a life for others. And you might just change the world. Kill that selfie spirit by skewering it with a servanthood one. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 